When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. After 38 days and 45 matches, the group stage of the 2019 Men's Cricket World Cup is now complete. India finishing top of the tree after Australia lost to South Africa by 10 runs in a thriller at Old Trafford to surrender pole position. Earlier in the day, Rohit Sharma's fifth hundred of the tournament, a new World Cup record and a century from his opening partner Kale Rahul had guided India to a routine seven-wicket victory over Sri Lanka at Headingley. All that means India will take on New Zealand in the first of the semi-finals at Old Trafford on Tuesday, while Australia now travels south to Edgbaston where they will face England on Thursday. The India v England final, widely bricked at the start of the tournament, is coming into view, but Australia won't fear Owen Morgan's side after that comprehensive win at Lords a couple of weeks ago. Welcome to the Wisden Cricket Daily Podcast in partnership with Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of memories since 1979. I'm your host, Joe Harmon, and joining me this evening on the phone from Melbourne is Sam Perry, Aussie cricket writer and one-third of the world-renowned Grade Cricketer Podcast. Hello, Sam. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. How are you doing? Have you, have you pulled another all-nighter? <laughs> Oh, something like that. I mean, look, I won't go into the absolute nitty-gritty of how you watch these matches in Australia. Suffice to say, I have a one-year-old child. I did get some sleep, but I have seen a lot of the match overnight. Uh, okay. Enough to know that, uh, you know, we're spoiled as Australians. If you told us that we'd finish second uh, heading into the group stage, we would have bitten your arm off for it. But then we got so close to uh, coming top. Now we're all just going to be pretty upset. Yeah, and it, it does feel like the way New Zealand have kind of crawled towards that that semi-final spot does that does just look like the easier match doesn't it yeah I think um, I mean we were just talking off air about this as well we'd all sort of started to brace ourselves for who we might play I should stop saying we by the way as a professional that's fine that's fine on this podcast we're we're all we're all doing the (laughs) we's in a world cup Yeah, I mean, the idea that Australia would somehow jag uh, that preferred semi of New Zealand uh, was just w- w- was an amazing thing to consider, uh, given where they were 12 months ago in short-form cricket. In many ways, now that we've sort of had a few minutes uh, post the loss to South Africa, maybe this is actually just a bit of a recorrection uh, and, and a semi against England is something they should be happy with. So um, looking at today's match in particular, what, what was your moment of the day? What stood out for you? There are a lot of moments in this day. Look, the, the one that stood out to me that I thought was most meaningful, uh, both in terms of the match but also its future implications, was when Marcus Stoinis got run out. Firstly, it was a beautiful bit of skill from Rabada and Decock to yeah. run him out. If you haven't seen it, uh, a little backhand flick from Decock to get rid of Stoinis. But um, the manner in which he was run out, when a, a lot of people are kind of, um, I, I guess, putting forward that he didn't dive uh, to protect a side strain yeah. that he'd already picked up or, or sort of 
re-injured in the match. Uh, it's something that's going to be interesting for Australia in the next couple of days as, as conversation will inevitably turn to who replaces Stoinis. I mean, we're going to presume that a re-injury of a side strain means that um, uh, he is gone. And so we're now going to be figuring conversations about Mitch Marsh or whether Matt Wade comes in as an extra batsman or whatnot. So uh, I just thought that was a pretty interesting moment. I also thought that... You know, the run out of Stoinis kind of coincided with uh, Australia really losing their footing in the game. There was an excellent partnership from Warner and Carey after that, but they were always a step behind in this match once he got out there. And uh, particularly given Kawaja retired hurt as well, um, it was Stoinis's probably final chance to put forward a performance of note in this tournament. Uh, he's not been able to do it, uh, and it has kind of exposed a quite a um, quite a weak middle order from Australia's point of view when mm. you can consider the fact that Glenn Maxwell seems to have been sorted out as well. You know, he's he fell to the short ball. Um, you know, Australia going to that match against England now a little bit more exposed than I think they were when they last played England. Yeah, I want to talk about Alex Carey as we as we go on the show as well because I thought that was a fantastic knock he played today, albeit in a losing cause. But the injury crisis, it's been an interesting few days, hasn't it? I mean, it with Pat Cummins um, breaking Sean Marsh's wrist in the nets, Glenn Maxwell getting hit on the arm by Mitchell Stark. It was kind of back to the old days with uh, Lily peppering Kim Hughes. I thought it was. <laughs> And then, yeah, of course, exactly. and then, of course, today, as you say, Stoinis, and then Kawaja retires hurt with his hamstring injury, comes out to bat, and, and was running between the wickets just about. But again, with that hamstring injury, if he really has done some damage there, you'd think that, well, he's probably out of that semi-final. And then Pete Hanscom suddenly, uh, from out of the wilderness, uh, might have a World Cup semi-final to prepare for. Yeah, it, it looks like it. I mean, it feels like there's so much to wrap your head around in relation to all that kind of stuff. Um, I won't often... Uh, commend Michael Clark's commentary, but he did say Australia arrived today, uh, you know, in um, at Old Trafford, flying as a team against a South African team who was already knocked out of the tournament, one foot on the plane, all of those cliches. And six hours later, uh, Australia's at sixes and sevens. They've got a couple of injuries. They've lost a, lost the match. They've got a, um, a semi final against the, uh, the World Cup favourites now, uh, and it's all turned on its head. So. Uh, you know how how they play it from here. It's it is difficult to say. There's a lot, there's a lot of options that Justin Langer has. However, Australia tends to revert to conservatism in these situations. Pete Hanscom was the like for like replacement for Sean Marsh. I presume he'll step in um, if Us- Usman Khawaja's hamstring doesn't come up. I presume it won't either. You know, if he wasn't able to bat, mm. uh, it's unlikely he's able to field in a couple of days' time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then um, when it comes to Stoinis, it'll probably be like for like as well. I know Mitch Marsh was kind of mooted to replace him with his first side strain injury, so. That's what I'm guessing. There'll be people who will be plumping for Matt Wade, uh, who's just who, who can't not score hundreds wherever he plays at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but I think it would probably be Hanscom and um, and Marsh. On Hanscom, I mean, he scored that brilliant ODI hundred against India in March and did okay-ish against Pakistan in the series that followed. I I've not seen a huge amount of him. But when I have, I've I've got to say I've not been particularly impressed he doesn't stand out like an international cricketer to me and perhaps that's partly to do with his kind of slightly idiosyncratic technique if he does step in do you think do you rate him as a capable replacement it's a, it's a really good question you know what i do and okay. i'm going to draw on um i'm going to draw on elements of kind of spirit and aura and intangibles that australia have been doing this whole series i mean um pete is a guy that's been earmarked for a really long time in australian cricket which isn't for nothing uh he does have a knack uh, for standing, there's no, there's, there's a reason that he's the captain of the Victorian side. Um, he has developed a very idiosyncratic style, which has surprised me because that aside, he's one of the more athletic, gifted players in the Australian cricket setup as well. So he doesn't have a style that tends to kind of reflect uh, how natural he is as right. a cricketer. And um, he just, he does strike me as a sort of person, or it wouldn't surprise you if he did 
pull a, a huge innings out of the bag in a big moment in a semi. Now, I can understand why those from England particularly don't rate him because um, he's been stitched up by England a couple of times uh, and I, I'm, it'd be interesting to see whether his technique would work over there. But, um, yeah, I, look, I, I'm, I'm a huge Matt Wade fan. Uh, I, I think Matt Wade should have been given a go in this top six far sooner. Uh, What's he done? Uh, he what, what, yeah, well, who, who's yeah, he pissed off? Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, he was the guy that they brought in for Pete Neville, you might recall, a few years ago because there wasn't enough energy in the field. So yeah. he came out like the, the big barking attack dog and then he ended up becoming a symbol, you know, in many ways for, for Australia's decline in that field. But, you know, Dean Jones made the point a few months ago that if you asked him to hand out red lollies uh, to everybody on the field to play, to play for Australia, he'd probably do that too. So, <laughs> yeah, um, sure. minus, yeah, so uh, I mean, I'm not sure what Matt Wade's done, but they, look, Langer likes Pete Hanscom, uh, and um, and then, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Marsh comes in as well. Okay, well, moving on to my moment of the day was uh, a stunner of a catch. We've seen so many in this World Cup, from Chris Morris to get rid of David Warner, just as it looked like Australia might be starting to get on top. Um, Morris um, had just been brought in at mid-on, brought into the circle. Warner sees that, tries to launch over him, doesn't quite get all of the ball, and, and Morris takes this, uh, a brilliant grab, diving to his left, uh, and holds on, and it... Morris has got form for this kind of stuff. He's a brilliant fielder. I remember him taking him an absolute screamer. At, I think it was a gully in a test match against England. He's, he's obviously a phenomenal fielder. Um, but more because the, the, the wicket was obviously so important because Warner was alongside Carey kind of masterminding that chase. And it, it, Warner, it's worth a few stats here because he's, he's having an extraordinary tournament. 300s and 350 and 350s and nine innings. Averaging 80, just nine behind Rohit Sharma in the race for the golden bat or whatever, whatever you call it. Uh, he just looks... I mean, I've never seen him look more determined, more focused. Is he... I mean, we've talked about Warner before in this show, but is this is this a new, is this a new David Warner? Have you seen him bat in this manner before? No, uh, I haven't. Uh, and there was something particularly steely about his innings tonight. Uh, you know, he has warmed into this tournament. He did seem to be batting fairly, you know, with, with strange circumspection at the start of the tournament. This chase, uh, you know which was done kind of with men falling around him, with people getting injured, um, the match seemingly over. He, he, kept, he kept it together and he did it quite strategically. I mean, nobody doubts Warner's ability to go ballistic uh, and to have huge overs with the bat. But this was, if you watch the overs leading into that dismissal, both he and Kerry were uh, deliberately targeting the first or second ball of every over and invariably hitting boundaries from that. Uh, and it was obviously, they were obviously trying to do the same thing again. Uh, he ends with, what, 120-odd um, at, at better at a runner ball. Mm. It would have been great to see, you know, and, and as the, the spoilt Australian in me wants to know what things would have been like had he had a few more overs in the middle. But, uh, yeah, look, th- there's, a, there's a couple of things they can take into that match against England. Obviously, Warner in form is fantastic. You know, Alex Carey just impresses every time he goes out to bat. His temperament, his ability to go through the gears, uh, you know, something that, you know, they can know that that number... I mean, he, I think he should probably bat ahead of Maxwell now, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and um, so, so that that part is going well. Uh, so so it, was some, it was nice that they were able to take that out of the match, even though, you know, I felt they got themselves too far behind too early and uh, it was always catch-up from then on. Yeah, I think Kerry perhaps came to the attention of England fans in, in the warm-up victory over England. Um, played a brilliant cameo uh, and then obviously went on to win that game. And his form has just continued on since then. Career-best 85 today, averaging 66 in the tournament, striking at 113. He's, an, he's not all that young. He's 27. His domestic record doesn't immediately jump out. Did you know he was this good? I mean, he, he looks like the real deal. He has class. Uh, you know, it would be um, a bit trite for me to say that I knew that he was good, but I did. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but, um, fine. Um, 
he's he's a late entrant to cricket. He was an Aussie Rules player uh, who was on a he was on an AFL list. Uh, didn't quite make it at the top level. Like so many Australian cricketers, they just failed footballers here uh, from Shane Warne all the way down. But um, uh, so that's probably that explains his late arrival. But everywhere, every time he enters the Australian setup, he seems to impress uh, to the point where you know he's had this meteoric rise, meteoric rise to the vice captaincy. Uh, he speaks very well, and you know a lot of that kind, of, a lot of that polish around the way he presents himself d- does tend to reflect on the field as well. I mean, he's come into the he's come into a number of innings this tournament with Australia under the palm and managed to salvage something. You know, whether it's a win, as it was, you know, with, with his um, partnership with Smith against the West Indies earlier in the tournament, or um, or even today where he. You know, got Australia close and, and you know, arguably played uh, better innings than Warner's. You know, he, he's one that I think they should be looking at uh, very closely for higher on as well at higher on as well at test level. Yeah, well, Michael Clark said on commentary that Kerry must be pushing hard for for the Ashes, and and he looks not only like he's got the the, the talent, but also the kind of composure for for test cricket as well. But then, of course, that raises some interesting questions about Tim Payne, who only a few months ago was apparently the saviour of Australian cricket, setting out this this new way for the. <laughs> for the future of the team. Uh, and obviously, if Kerry comes in, could you potentially play him as just a pure batsman and Payne continues uh, to keep wicket? Or does Payne step aside? Uh, they, yeah. they can't get rid of Payne at this stage, can they, as captain? You're probably asking that rhetorically, but I do have a firm view on that. I mean, absolutely, they can play both. And they can also play Matt Wade pair as well. I mean, you guys do it. Going for the England <laughs> route, I like it. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, if, if Alex Carey and Matt Wade are in the top six batsmen to um, or batters I should say to uh, score runs which will be at a premium against England in the Ashes and they should be considered on that alone Tim Payne is the captain and that is an important that is a really important role and he's probably he's the best gloveman of the three so it, you know people are right to uh, scoff at the idea that you know Payne's position is under threat because of Carey uh, I still think Payne has the best gloves and that's the most important but Alex Carey I mean Australia hasn't been able to score a run in England for about 15 years in Test cricket. Alex Carey's come in and shown the ability to actually, you know, manage big situations on English wickets. Admittedly, a different form, but uh, that, that, you know, that I think justifies looking at. Yeah, and as you mentioned earlier, he's kind of in this one-day side. He's sort of doing the job that Maxwell should be doing really and, and Maxwell's had a funny old tournament he's, he's obviously played in all Australia's games he hasn't necessarily got as many chances as he might like because of the, the top order doing so well but he has had chances and he's only faced 95 balls in the, in the whole tournament with a high score of 46 for the guy who's meant to be Australia's game changer he's just not really producing at the moment is he? No he's not uh, so you know he, he's he's extremely conditional Maxwell at the moment, uh, you know, he, he requires a very niche set of conditions to succeed. There was so much uh, conjecture and um, criticism towards Justin Langer through the summer, the Australian summer that is, when Maxwell batted seven in the ODIs. Because you know, you can you can do um, hours and hours of Glenn Maxwell chat on this kind of stuff, but as it stands, it would appear that his temperament and the way he wants to play is best suited to basically having about twenty to thirty balls at his disposal and no more. Uh, every time he's been uh, thrust into a situation which has required uh, an ability from him to manage more deliveries, mm. uh, he doesn't seem to be able to do it. Um, I shouldn't say he's not interested in doing it because he has has actually been he's been technically found out you know, on this uh, on the short ball repeatedly, uh, hasn't again, he? Yeah. It was just a sh- and and even Justin Langer in the last few days queried his ability against genuine pace. So even so. <laughs> The romantic in all of us still wonders whether there's there's one great innings in Maxwell, you know, this tournament. So you never want to write that off. And the other thing I should say is um, his fielding is absolutely electric, yeah. and uh, he has show, he, his bowling regressed for a few years there, but it has 
come back somewhat, and he is quite handy with the ball. So, uh, you know, I, I think bump carry up to six, put put Maxwell to seven. Uh, you know, hopefully he can do some damage with 15 to 20 balls with the bat, a couple of overs with the ball, and the great catch. You know, he's still extremely valuable to the side. I wanted to talk about Mitchell Stark as well, who, who wasn't actually at his best today, um, but took another two wickets. That takes him to 26 for the tournament, which brings him level with Glenn McGrath for the most wickets ever in a single World Cup. Um, his World Cup record is, is extraordinary. I think it worth, bears repeating it. So he's got now taken 48 wickets across two World Cups, an average of 13.66. Uh, he's taking a wicket every three overs, uh, three five-wicket Balls and World Cups, also a record. Uh, only five bowlers have taken more wickets than World Cups, and they've all played in at least four World Cups, and Stark's only played two. I mean, these these figures are absolutely extraordinary. All the more so when you consider he came into this tournament apparently not in the best form, didn't have a great year last year, but there seems to be something about World Cups that just brings about brings out the best in him. Sure, and I've noted a few of uh, your colleagues over in the UK noting that he isn't appreciated enough in Australia, and I think yeah. they're right, frankly. I mean, I think for what he even did in the last World Cup would be enough alone uh, to justify kind of a great legacy and a lot of appreciation from uh, people in Australia but uh, you know if, if it was ever in question after that World Cup well it's not anymore uh, he's just been absolutely devastating you know we're, we're just funny we're just funny down here Joe like we um, we went into the World Cup thinking well we'll probably do quite well to finish in the semis but the casual observer still expects when Australia plays to win uh, everything and um, even with Stark despite having such a an incredible tournament so far. You'd think, well, if he goes well in the semi in the, and if they make a final, it would be a bonus. But he, I still think that they'll judge him based on the semi and the final, you know? So, um, but yeah, I mean, he's an incredible bowler. And when he gets the ball, I mean, Finch has now started to use him really well through the middle and the late overs of the innings, uh, particularly in the middle. And when he gets the ball full and tailing um, when in or away, you know he's just extremely difficult to stop, isn't he? Yeah, I, I, it's interesting you say that because I, about English English journalists feeling that Stark doesn't get his G's because I've felt that for for quite a while now, and I've never really been able to put my finger on why that why that might be because he seems like a fairly amiable, laid back bloke. I interviewed him before the start of the World Cup. Seemed like a nice chap. There's nothing particularly offensive there. He seems pretty wholehearted, so I don't think there's any question of attitude. Shane Warne seems to like getting stuck into him, which is never very helpful if you're a cricketer. Do you think, is there something in, in that? Does that, that obviously creates headlines whenever he says anything. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I keep using the, the C word conservative when it comes to Australia, but I mean, Mitchell Stark is, is like, a, and perhaps is unfair on Stark, but there's, there's a Stuart McGill to him in the manner in which he bowls. Is an, is an ultra-attacking bowler mm. uh, who can just do incredible things things in terms of making the ball talk and bowling with raw speed. You know, I, I know it's a strange analogy, but McGill could spin the ball a long way, but it was also quite sort of uh, he, he could be up and down with his length as well and can go for a few. And, yeah. and I feel like Stark is like that. And in Australia, we, we really, you know, we really regard the the, the dour, rugged kind of um, tight bowler, I think first and foremost. We like discipline, you know, we like people who don't stray too far from the norm. Mitchell Stark is ambitious in the way that he bowls, so when he gets uh, a bit of tap, when he looks a bit benign with the ball we tend to think oh well i said i said the royal way it's not all of us but um you know we tend to think oh well you know he he lacks toughness perhaps and you know that's what warren's getting at when warren gets into him for body language and all sorts of things like that but you know the guy bowls 150 k's an hour he's managed his body far better than the other um bowlers in his kind of generation 
I think, uh, you know, which speaks well to his fitness and his dedication. He, he doesn't happen to swear that much at people. He can go off sometimes, but he's, he seems to be naturally a nice person. So, you know, Australians need to work out how to um, how to accept this this guy. You sure. know, he doesn't seem to be in the mould of, you know, McGrath and Lily in, in, in terms of his character. That's interesting. Well, that sheds a little bit of light on it from, from my perspective. Um, just before we move on to India, quick word on South Africa. Finished on a high glimpses today, perhaps of the forces of uh, the force they could have been in in this tournament. Hey, for sure, you know, I've, Australia has South African demons. Uh, not to relate it to Australia, but yeah, I, I thought what we saw tonight was um, was the South Africa that at least Australians saw over our summer as well, where they um, they hammered us, <laughs> you know, here, and uh, it was on it was on the back of you know Decock brilliance, um, Faf Duplessis being impregnable with the bat. Chris Morris being just being an excellent bowler, um, having a whole bunch of support around them. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's bittersweet, but uh, I mean, uh, you know, for, from an Australia, through an Australian's eyes, South Africa is a really difficult prospect. Uh, glad to see the back of them. Uh, well, let's let's have a quick chat about India before we wrap things up. I'd, I'd suggest we didn't really learn anything new about them today that, that we didn't already know. Uh, perhaps there's nothing new to learn at this stage when everyone's <laughs> played for this long, but. The uh, top order is formidable. Uh, Jasprit Bumrah is a seriously, seriously good bowler. Rabbit Sharma, as I said, at the top fifth hundred of the World Cup, the first player to achieve the feat. Uh, and Kaila Rahul, seventy-seven and one hundred and eleven, his last two knocks. Obviously, Shikhar Dhawan was a, is a huge loss given his tournament record, but there's signs that Rahul's now starting to fill that gap nicely. Yeah, and the only question that remains is when's Kohli going to score a ton? Yeah, <laughs> he's still, still waiting for him to score his. It's amazing, so. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, they've probably been the most consistent team in India so far as understanding what the balance of their team is, how it works. Uh, maybe that some of their spinners have had the wobbles through the tournament, but w- whose team hasn't, <laughs> frankly? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I asked that question about Kohli facetiously, but, I mean, he has to do something this tournament, doesn't he? So, but, but, but apart from that, yeah, I mean, Rohit, uh, ho- hopefully Rohit's uh, scored all of his hundreds, again, from an Australian uh, point of view, being myopics there. But, um he looks and, hungry, you know, though, doesn't he? He looks like he might. He looks to me like he might have another one or two more in him. Yeah. Uh, he's just been absolutely relentless. There's still that, that that middle order question continues, and obviously there wasn't any answer to it today because they weren't needed, which is part of the problem in itself. I think I I still, and this has been talked about on the on the show quite a, a, a bit, but I still think that. Dhoni might lose them this World Cup. Not necessarily because of what he does or doesn't do, but the team's refusal to acknowledge that he's a different player to the one that was was chasing down anything four, five, six years ago. Um, what, what have you made of Dhoni in this tournament and some of his slightly kind of curious innings? It's so funny, Joe. It's, you know, you're so reluctant to, to write him off ever, uh, which is probably the, um, the coward's way out <laughs> of that. But, um, you know, yeah, pure mathematics dictates that, you know, that the way that he bats gets in the way of everybody else, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's really tempting to just lean on cliches around uh, commitments to milestones and, and batting selfishly and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, India have become the bad guys through the way Dhoni bats and perhaps, you know, the, the right thing to happen is for them to lose the World Cup on the back of his batting. But I'm just reluctant to say so and I can still see him just whipping a ball around the corner or through mid-wicket to win the oh. World Cup. So I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I can't go as far as you want it just yet because I'm afraid of him. Hang on, I did say might. I did say might. I'm not <laughs> I know this one's going to come back to bite me. Don't worry, I know it. <laughs> Um, that game also was was the last sighting we'll have of uh, Lasith Malinga in a in a World Cup, uh, a World Cup legend. Really, he's done so many fantastic things in the tournament over the years. Finishes with fifty six World Cup wickets. Uh, only McGrath and Murley have more. I was 
I was a bit concerned ahead of this tournament that he'd be a kind of pale imitation of himself and, and he didn't have a huge amount of cricket behind him. He's clearly not in the greatest of shape. But having said that, he's he's got through all Sri Lanka's games, uh, kind of rolled back the years at times, those four wickets in that, in that win against England, which we should all be very, very thankful for because it kept this group stage alive for much longer than it would have been otherwise. And then, of course, three the other day in that win over the West Indies. Uh, Sam, we'll not, we'll not see another quite like him, will he? I mean, he's a kind of wholly unique cricketer. Oh, for sure. And that, that great image of his um, gut protruding out on the <laughs> balcony uh, there um, was something that will stick with us forever. But I, I say that like as a compliment because sure. there are f- very few players for whom you can actually picture them doing one particular skill that will remain uh, in your memory forever. And for him, you know, a, a slower ball Yorker or a Yorker of any type really is something that you'll be able to tell people about forever. But, you know, and, and obviously the manner in which you bowled was just so unique. The, the way that people, you know, he could, he could make fools of people, you know, and um, that's, uh, you know, if nothing else, one of the main aims of cricket, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Sri Lanka as a, as a team as well, I think a lot of people feared for them in this tournament. We, I remember us discussing this at the start of the tournament, actually, that this could, could potentially be an embarrassment. And it, it's not been that by any stretch, has it? They've they probably performed well above expectations. They have performed well above expectations. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were in the conversation, you know, a couple of a couple of days ago. Uh, yeah. it, was a, it was a long shot, but they still managed to stay in it and, you know, by virtue, I mean, they were one of the rare teams that actually were able to uh, confound expectations when it came to matches by beating England, and that was through that was through Malinga. So it was really it was really good to see because obviously there's been a lot of concern about the decline of Sri Lankan cricket for a little while now, uh, and, and I think they definitely injected a little bit of pride into their cricket through the way that they played. Okay, well I think we'll we'll wrap that for the day. Uh, thanks, Sam. Sam, tell me how how are you going to be watching England Australia on on uh, on Thursday? Paint me a picture. What are you going to be doing? <laughs> okay. It's an early start, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So they're, I mean, yeah, they're all all ten thirties from now on. Yeah. I guess so. The, yeah, so the early start um, means it's eight pm here in Australia. I will, you know, it, it will not be rock and roll by any means for me um, <laughs> with a fourteen month old in the house. But it will just be yeah, like a tiptoeing around the house, probably about. 13 cups of, uh, of herbal tea, a lot of tweeting, you know, because it's very important that people hear what, you know, I have to say uh, when the semi-final is on. And, um, you know, depending upon what happens, just um, gearing up for either way, an explosive podcast with a great cricketer, sorry to pump up my own thing. Um, You're allowed to do that, that's fine. That's fine. Well, that sounds about as rock and roll as it, as it gets for a cricket journalist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, may the best country win, I guess. Yeah. Well, me too slightly. Although I was at Lords for that defeat uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was convinced England were getting knocked out of the tournament there. I didn't have such high hopes then, but obviously the last week or so has has made us have a slightly more positive outlook over here. Uh, and with the final being on free to air, if England get there, well, they'd better do it, hadn't they? Really. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for your time, Sam, as ever. With no World Cup action until Tuesday, we're taking Sunday off, but we'll be recording again on Monday afternoon when we'll be joined by Test Match Special commentator Daniel Norcross and, rather excitingly, uh, by former England and Surrey skipper Adam Hollyoke for the first time on the show. This has been the Wisden Cricket Daily Podcast in partnership with Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of memories since 1979. Thanks for joining us and don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or any of the other usual platforms. Podcast Network.